All right. Well, let's get into the Word of God this morning. First uh, John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. And I must say, this is my last message on this series of holiness this morning. Um, there is other aspects that I considered and weighed up as uh, uh, before the Lord, because there's other things we could consider. But um, but now this is the the, the last message uh, and instalment on the, this series of holiness this morning. And keeping in mind the the initial uh, emphasis, the reason why I wanted to do the series in the first instance, and it was something that Lord put upon my heart last end of last year, and <clears throat> uh, was uh, one because as I, as we said from the beginning, there's. There's controversy that surrounds the doctrine of holiness and uh, there's confusion that surrounds the doctrine of holiness. And so, um, and so as a result of that, um, I set uh, out to address those issues. Not as, uh, over, uh, this is the 11th instalment, but really um, to the degree in which I have, I pray that the Lord has helped us to understand and the balance and under, have a biblical understanding and the balance of holiness as in scripture because any truth taken to an extreme becomes error and so the when it comes to the doctrine of holiness there's a tension and so i've sought to try and you know walk on that tight rope so to speak and uh, to establish that and that we can understand and have some clarity and so i pray by god's grace you've been blessed because we've been looking at uh, holiness that is positional, holiness that is in Christ. And then we have moved now right over to the other side that, that which relates to um, self-effort because, again, there's controversy and how does that work, what place does it have in, in holy living and pursuing holiness and so forth. So we've examined many scriptures in relation to this. And like I said at the beginning, they don't, they don't contradict each other. They're not fighting each other. They both have a tremendous uh, um, um, truth attached to them in their context and in God's plan for us when it comes to holiness. And so we've looked at the practical and the positional. We've looked at the root of holiness in terms of the new covenant, the spirit that lives in us, the spirit that in, uh, in, is uh, through the process of inwrought holiness. He changes and transforms our very character into his image. And this is the foundation. It's the spirit at work in which we bear fruit. And so, and then coupled with that is the aspect of our responsibility in that process to align ourselves to those things, to walk as, as we ought to walk and to live as we ought to live. And to conduct ourselves as we ought to conduct ourselves. And so this is uh, why we've looked at you know, pursuing and perfecting holiness in recent, um, in recent weeks. Now I want to look at two aspects today as we conclude. And uh, two principles. And one is holiness and the world. You can't talk about holiness without talking... Uh, about the world as we as identified in scripture but there's another aspect that I want to touch on too as, as we as we look at that and that is re, uh, holiness and revival holiness and revival now the reason why I say that is because <clears throat> I remember uh, many years ago uh, when I was in contact and uh, with Iron Morgan for those that would, would know him or remember him 
And, um, you know, he was a prolific uh, writer as well. And, uh, um, and I remember reading an article that he had written. It was called The Accent of Holiness. The Accent of Holiness. And he was making the point about the, the Pentecostal movement and he was making the emphasis of the two aspects or two pillars that made up and characterized the Pentecostal movement, at least in its formation, um, not so much now in modern day, but, um, but it was, one was the supernatural, obviously, that they, uh, uh, that they contended for and saw. And then there was the issue of holiness that he spoke of. So there was an accent on holiness. And really, in any move of God, you will find this manifesting itself. I mean, look at the Salvation Army. There was for, you know, for all things but you know, blood and fire. And there was, again, a strong emphasis on holiness. And yes, I'm not saying that all their doctrines were perfect. Even in myth, the Methodist movement, it was holiness, an emphasis of holiness. And so, so it's always going to be there. There's always going to be an accent of holiness because there should be because it's in the scripture and so if i was to put here on the stage this morning i put a uh, an american and an englishman and an aussie and we got them how would you tell them apart their accent they would all look the same physically well you know certainly not a mean human but and when they opened their mouth and began to talk, you would identify the accent to their lives, and that would then enable you to identify their nationality or where they're from. And so this is really what it is uh, is 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 um, we're referring to when we talk about the accent of holiness this morning, because the Christian is to have an accent, and that accent is not in our voice, okay, but it's in our life. Uh, as they say, you can walk, uh, you can talk to talk, but will we walk the walk? Amen. It's easy to talk Christianese. It's easy to talk the talk in terms of sounding like a Christian. But as all things, a tree is judged by its fruit, right? And so there must be. We've got to walk the walk. And this is when we talk about holiness and the accent of holiness. Our lives must be characterized by holiness and being separated and not identifying with those things that are ungodly, unholy and unrighteous. That's why we are told over and over again, um, even in first, I'm going to be referring to a few scriptures here, but, uh, uh, and rightly so, but in First Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 15 of uh, 30, uh, where is it? Uh, Peter says, verse 15, he says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. All your conduct. I know, that's a, that's a, uh, there's the standard right there. All your conduct. It's your outward con conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And so the scripture is clear. This is the accent. And so when you read the Bible, one of the things you pick up is, uh, especially as we consider Israel in the Old Testament, you begin to see how Israel failed God over and over in their testimony and when it came to this call of separation. And so much so that uh, Paul would write to uh, the church in Rome 
And he would refer to the, uh, the Jew and being confined under sin because of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And though Israel was chosen and was a holy nation, separated to God, they didn't, many times didn't conduct themselves outwardly as they ought to have. And so Paul writes and he says in Romans 2.24, he says, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now think about that. That's heavy. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because your conduct, because of the way you are living. And uh, this, is, uh, this was obviously quoted. Paul is referring and is obviously aware of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 52 verse 5, God says, My name is blasphemed continually every day. I mean, that's, that's sad and it's heavy. Because here's Israel, by the, there's no accent of holiness in their lives and in their conduct. They have turned away and have drifted away in disobedience to God. And God says the result of that is my name is blasphemed among the Gentiles, or in this case, among the unsaved and unbelievers, because of the way in which we conduct ourselves. And so we can see the importance of holiness this morning. And this is what I want to leave us with as, as a last instalment. And so let's look at our text, 1 John chapter 2, familiar portion of text. Verse 15 to 17, John writes and he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him, or love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust, or sorry, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides for ever. Now, think about these words because they are straight, they are sobering words. And you may recall a few weeks ago I was talking about the uniqueness of James' epistle when he talks about pure and undefiled religion. And he says, and he puts these two together and he says, visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself unspotted from the world keeping oneself unspotted from the world, because that needs to be the endeavour. That needs to be, this, this, is a, this is God's will for us this morning, because the world wants to stain us. It wants to, uh, when we talk about being spotted, we're talking about the garments of salvation that, that we have been given in Christ, because we are, we are positionally, we are holy we are declared righteous. We have the garments of salvation. We are, we are pure in his sight and through his precious blood. But yet those garments can be stained in a sense through our conduct. And thank God we have a stain remover, okay? And so uh, there's, uh, God has made provision even in this instance. But nevertheless, um, we don't want to live and identify in that manner. We want to be holy as we are required to. You see, when you look at John's words, and I'm not going to go into all the detail of, 
of those words in these particular verses. But I want to just make the point that when you strip these words back to the most simplest point, the point is this, who do we love more? God or the world? That's what the question, that's what John is saying. Who do we love more? Because do not, we're told not to love the world, things in the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or in other words, our love for the Father is not in us. And especially in the context it is, because we are called to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, all of our strength. And that's, that's the, the requirement that comes, and, and that's the motivation for why we even live a holy life, why we serve God and, uh, and obey Him in the first instance. And so John is very explicit in this in, when he makes these statements. And really, the, the world this morning is, is, uh, is, is a battleground for the Christian. It's a battleground. I remember uh, years ago reading a book by A.W. Tozer, and he's, uh, it was, uh, the world is not a, it's, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And, and really, when you think about it, it's true, because the world can, can really steal our hearts and our affections away from God. And this is the danger uh, that uh, exists when we talk about the world this morning. The whole system of this world is corrupted. The whole system is opposed to God. And so, yes, we're in the world, but we are not of the world. And so we must learn to conduct ourselves in a manner that is holy. Because, as I said, the world wants to steal our love and our affection. The world wants to encroach upon our commitment and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And there's things that we can, if we are, if we are not mindful and, uh, um, and conducting ourselves as we ought, then there are things that will try and trip us up, will drift, cause us to drift away, cause us to act in a certain manner that is contrary to God's will for us. And so the, the world wants to steal our affections. It's as simple as that. The world wants to encroach upon us. And sometimes, if we are not mindful of this, if we are not uh, 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 aware of these things, then it's very easy to just drift. It's very easy because, like, let's ask the question: what, How's our prayer life? We could all you could say, "Well, like, we could all pray more." I agree. I could pray more too. But uh, if we don't, sometimes if we don't set aside that time, that quiet time, that secret place, then then it's it, it, it uh, again the world can encroach upon those more important aspects. And so, our reading of the Bible, our faithfulness and service to Christ, these are all important aspects of the Christian life this morning. Being a Christian is not just going to church once a week and the Bible study on a Wednesday night. There's much more. It's about an intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and the world can encroach upon that if we're not guarding our hearts. And our love can shift, our affections can shift. And we see this all too often and we probably know it all by experience if we're honest in some way, shape or form. But you see, when it comes to the world, we can find time for the things that we want. Isn't it true? 
I mean, you can be tired, worn out, but if it's something that you, that you desire, somehow you'll fit it in. Somehow you just do what you've got to do because that's where your heart is. And so this is the same thing in the kingdom of God. We must, we, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, it's the same thing. When we have love for God, somewhere, if, if, when, if, if things are encroaching and things are stealing our affections, you know what, you feel you have a sense of that and you think, I need to, I need to come back. I need to spend some time with the Lord. I need to take some time out and pray. I need to take some time out and draw near to God. And he will draw near to you, the scripture says. And so, if we're committed or if we love the things of the world, then the Bible says, how can the love for the Father be in us? Because there's one thing to say, I love God, but Jesus said, if you love me, what is it? He's saying, look, keep my commandments. He's looking for something outward that demonstrates these things. And so, John in his epistle this morning, he's, he's, he's a really, he's a sharp shooter. I mean, the, the, this epistle is, is, if you've read it, it it's really gets to the point. John doesn't, uh, you know, leave you in two minds about what he's trying to say. And so I want to just draw your attention to a couple of things there in, the, in chapter 2, in verse 28, where he says, And now, little children, abide in him. Uh, there's the, uh, abide in him. This is what we're talking about. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Not be ashamed before him at his coming? Think about that. Is that possible? Potential exists. Absolutely it is. Why? Because we're not living as we ought to be. Look, verse 29. If you know him, if you know, sorry, if you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So here's the distinguishing factor. Paul, uh, John says this is, what you, this is the identifying mark. He says uh, if, you, if you know that he is righteous, which we know that, then we know those that, uh, his that are practicing righteousness, that are living holy lives. There's a practical expression and manifestation of that in their lives. Go to chapter 3. Have a look at verse number 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. That's our position. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Notice that both of these texts are talking about the coming of the Lord and our ultimately being together with him. Now look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him, what? Purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who has the hope. Our hope, amen, is, is, to, be, is to go home, be with Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Whether to die and be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord, or he comes in, his, uh, uh, and, uh, in, in the rapture and he comes to take me home, so be it, then I will enter into the fullness of our salvation and praise the Lord in light of what is the promise ahead and what we are living for. We live ourselves in this world that we purify ourselves because we have this hope in us. 
And that's why he'll go on in the, in the, in the uh, verses that follow. Look at verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. That's what, for sin is breaking the law. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in, in him there is no sin. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. People take that to an, uh, misunderstand that. They say, well, you know, the new man, uh, the new man doesn't sin. Well, the new man does sin because the, the old man is... <laughs> the, the, again, this goes back to the, this whole thing we've looked at in Romans before. We are new creation in Christ. We have the life of God in us. And yes, the, new, uh, the presence of God, the Spirit of God will never uh, 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 lead us to sin. Absolutely not. But we don't continue in sin. And so in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So these are heavy. I mean, I know that these have to be tempered with the rest of Scripture. But these are very strong statements. Extremely strong. John, you know, doesn't John understand eternal security? Of, of course he does. But he says things that are so black and white. That it's like, well, then if you claim to know him and you live in sin, then John says, well, you know what? You've neither seen him nor known him. And so, again, this is practical and it packs a punch, I know. But it's, it's, it, uh, John is making the point of holiness and how serious it is. And he goes on to say, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. So he who practices righteousness is righteous. But wait, righteousness is in Christ. See how the two, they seem almost paradoxical, and they are. But each one in and of itself is relevant and is true. And so, again, he says, he who sins is of the devil, because he, the devil has sinned from the beginning. In terms, now that we're Christ, we are to pursue holiness. We are to not continue in sin that grace may abound. How? We are to reckon ourselves dead, indeed. And now that we are in Christ, baptised into Christ, and so forth. We've covered all of this. But again, I'm just reiterating it in the context of what we're seeing here. And that's why John will say in our text, in our text in verse 17... The world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The will of God. He who does the will of God. What is the will of God? Is your sanctification. That you may know how to possess your body and be holy and to live and conduct yourself as we ought to. Separated unto him. And really, when we talk about separation this morning and living the Christian life and we talked about sanctification, you know, it comes down to one simple thing. It comes down to our love, as we're just identifying there. I should say two. And the second one is faith. Love and faith. Faith and love. Because they're the two principal aspects that, that all these things hinge upon. Because if you don't have faith, if you don't believe what God says, if you don't have this hope in your heart, then you won't live as you ought to live. 
you won't conduct yourself as you ought to conduct yourself because the issue is unbelief. See, this is why faith is centre, at the centre of these things. And I was thinking about how we ought to conduct ourselves and how faith is, is, is behind this. And when you look at the heroes of faith that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, this is the hallmark. Because look, uh, let me read it to you in Hebrews 11 verse number 13. It says, These all died in faith, meaning because they had made choices, they had separated themselves, they had consecrated their lives, and they had uh, rejected the world. Why did they live like that? Well, here's the answer, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They are strangers and pilgrims. Verse 14, for they say such things, for those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Isn't that amazing? These are the heroes of faith. This is, this is what they had resolved in their heart. We're getting a snapshot of the deep motivations that caused them to live and conduct themselves the way that they did. Because you know what? They had said, you know what? This world has nothing. This world means nothing. It has nothing to do and bear on the eternal things and the promises. And they hadn't even received the promises of God. But they, were, they had seen them afar off by faith. They were assured of them. They had a conviction in their heart. And they made confession of that. And they said, you know what? We're pilgrims. We're strangers or aliens. I believe in aliens. I'm an alien. <laughs> and so are you. But when the world thinks that, that we're like them, then there's a problem, right? Because to the world, we're supposed to be like aliens. And we are aliens because God says we're strangers. They look at us and go, oh, what's wrong with those Christians? And so because we're pilgrims, you know what? We, our, our, this world is not our home. We're living for the next. We're living for that which is ahead. And so we order our conduct accordingly. And faith. Faith was the motivation there. And that's why we're told in John's epistle as well, in chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him. Sorry, let me read it. Um, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is love to God, or the, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith is the victory. 
It's faith because you know I'm. When you read the Bible, you're seeing and you're because you know what we're to a certain extent we're just like those that have gone before us. We still we've inherited salvation. We have an, we have an inheritance, but yet we're not fully in possession of all that God has promised. And so still we're, we're pilgrims and strangers. We're only passing through. And we're awaiting the fulfillment of our, the fullness of our salvation. Amen. When we put on a glorified body, when we are forever with Jesus. And so we live because we have this hope in us. We purify ourselves and we conduct ourselves in the world in accordance with that reality. Not, we don't live for the world. We live for the world to come. We live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, my, my motivation this morning is not to stand up here and, you know, thunder from a place of self-righteousness because, you know, I, I, that's not, I'm not that. I, I, I'm, I, I pray that we can examine our hearts this morning in light of the, 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 the mirror of God's word. And as we examine it, as we see these things and we see our lives, so often we see how, how sometimes we fall short. We're not living as we ought to. We, we could be doing more. We should be doing more sometimes. And I'm not trying to make about the motivation guilt. I'm trying to point it out so that we can examine ourselves and get, if necessary, get it right because it's love and faith. That's the reason why you've got to do what you do. Not because, and if the Spirit of God wants to, is convicting you this morning about anything, then so be it. I'm not here to bring condemnation. I'm here to preach the Word of God. And if God convicts us, see, that's the problem with the modern church now. So we don't want to make people feel guilty. I don't really, I don't want to make people feel guilty. That's not my job. But you see, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something in our lives, you know what you're going to feel? A, a guilt. Because you, God's saying, you shouldn't do that. You need to repent of that. You need to change the way in which you're conducting yourself. And that conviction is to motivate us and to move us into greater blessing and into holiness. And so sometimes when we, uh, sometimes people listen to the preacher and they see the man. Hear God this, this morning. Hear the words of God. And so because if our, if our garment is stained, then you know what? We, as we said before, we have a stain remover. John tells us in his epistle again. In fact, he says here, he says if we have, um, if we, uh, if, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession of sin. Confess your sin that you may be healed. There's something about confession that, that uh, and I don't mean, you know, the old Catholic go-in-the-box type stuff, you know, <laughs> but confessing sins to one, confess the sins to one another that you may be healed. See, so often temptation is to keep them all to myself. Once I spoke to someone and there was, there was deep sin in their lives and they, and they said, I just confessed it to God. And I said, well, that's not good enough. Because in there are certain instances as part of the process of God's restoration healing, you must confess sin to one another. That's that you may be healed. Because sometimes the motivation is, oh, 
It's just me and Jesus, you know. And that way, just you can hide or conceal it. No. And I learned this lesson. I say this from experience. Because it was, a, it was, a, it was a, probably nearly a year and a half into my salvation that the Lord brought something up in my life. And not that I was seeking to conceal it, but the Lord was wanting me to make confession of it. Why? Not so he could condemn me. I was already forgiven. He wanted to heal me. And so, again, holiness. You know, interesting, a bit of a diversion here, but since we just mentioned that scripture, there's really an interesting portion there as well because it's got to do with, um, it's, it's, it's really a mystical element when you think about it because, you know, when we love one another, and we walk in unity and fellowship with one another. There's something about that that the Bible says. Look, it says uh, verse 7. Well, in actual fact, prior to that, he says um, that we're not to walk in darkness. We don't lie to each other, but we practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You know, when in the midst of true unity, true Christian love, and when we love the brethren, love one another, serve one another, there is a dimension there. Because, hey, let's face it, we're not perfect, are we? You got a problem with brother or sister? Yeah. <laughs> Someone rubs you up the wrong way and all that stuff, and you know how it works in church. But you see, when we rise above that and we display the character of Christ and we are holy ourselves and live and be like him, then we, there's a unity, there's a, there's a love, there's a unity in the brethren and there God smiles upon it and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that awesome? So... I'm highlighting these things this morning, but I'm going to the Word of God. And I want you to turn with me to James chapter 4. Because we're looking at holiness in the world. And if I'm going to look at that as a principle in the Bible, then we have to look at the scriptures that address it. So James, again, he's strong. And he goes very hard at the church and members of the church. And uh, so much so that he says to them in verse 4 of chapter 4, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. On what basis? Do you not know that friendship, friendship with the world, friendship with the world, is it makes you, uh, uh, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, we can't, you know, that's the problem sometimes is we do, Christians compromise from speaking the truth, from speaking the word of God because they don't want to offend, because they want to befriend. But when you befriend, there comes a point where you will offend the word of God this morning. And so, uh, and this is what happens. So we can't, Our motivation is not to be a friend. We are friends to sinners because we want to win them to the Lord. But when it comes to standing up for the gospel, we declare the truth. And if that makes us enemies, well, that's just the nature of what we're involved in. We're a holy people. 
And so I'm not going to befriend the world to the compromise, uh, compromising of God's word. But uh, he says that anyone who wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And don't you, or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? See, again, God wants us to himself. He's a jealous God. And this is because he has a fierce love for us. And he bought us with his precious, precious blood. And our life's not our own. It's his. And so therefore, in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble. We can always humble ourselves before God this morning. Verse 7, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, that he may lift you up. I mean, these are heavy words. I mean, imagine coming to the congregation and saying that. You know, it's going to build you up. This, this type of thing doesn't preach in the modern church. <laughs> They'll deliberately avoid that. Because, you know, it just, I mean, they will. But yet, see, James is saying, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, that's depressive. Yeah. You know, by the Bible says sorrow is better than laughter. Because out of a sad countenance, the heart is made better in Ecclesiastes. And the reason is, is God understands sometimes we need to, to be broken before the Lord. Sometimes we, we have to be humbled under the hand of God if our lives are not right and obedient to God. In order that we would submit to him, in order that we would humble ourselves to him. And it's in that place that God says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. Right at that point when you break, right at that point when you humble yourself before God, when you think it's all over, God's going to zap me. God says, now finally got you to where you need to be, and now in that place I'll give you grace. God is so good. But you see, have we ever considered the place of brokenness before the Lord this morning? Brokenness because... Of our sin. I'm not talking about guilt, I'm talking about our brokenness to say, you know, it's not right. Brokenness, whether it be of sin, whether it be of compromise in our lives, or of apathy, Christians just not living as they ought to, or, 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 or uh, fellowshipping with God as they ought to, or our unfaithfulness, or even uh, growing hardness of heart. I don't know. But whatever the case may be, what I have found is when, I, when the Lord has chastised me uh, and brought me through certain things to humble me under his hand, at the point of brokenness is at the point where he met with me and he, he instantaneously lifted me up at that moment in time. And, and, and rather than have sadness, that my, the joy of the Lord became my strength and I was rejoicing in God. No more sorrow, because sorrow had done its, had worked its work. Now, amen, uh, I, go, I went off rejoicing in God. And so I pray that you 
can identify this, this truth this morning. I want to reiterate it further in, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 57. Verse 15, some familiar portion of text. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. God is holy. I dwell in the high and lofty place. Where? With him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Listen to that. The, ho- the, who's, the him whose name is holy, who dwells in the high and holy and lofty place, amen, that he's God Almighty. Who does he dwell with? To those who have a contrite and humble spirit. That word contrite means to be crushed. You see, when we come to at the end of ourselves, when we come to the place of brokenness because we have offended God, sinned against God, or whatever the case may be, God says, there I will descend, there I will dwell. That's why David says the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. And if God can't break us, then something's wrong with us. Because the way of brokenness is a profound principle in the Scriptures. You know, it's interesting because at verse 16 it says, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the Spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. In other words, God says, you know what? He knows that we're just dust. He knows what we're like. That's what I've found with God. He's ne- God's never late, never. You know, sometimes we, just, we get to the end of ourselves in a circumstance and we're just like, it's finished. But you see, God, it's, we, we are right where God wants us and he says, I will not contend forever. I won't always be angry because God knows that our spirit would fail and the souls that I have made, we're fragile. Very fragile. But God takes that all that into account. And that's why at our deepest, lowest point, and in that place, God meets with us. God comes, and in our humility, and when we're humbled before God, he lifts us up and he exalts us. And that is a glorious truth. And we, all, we look at that and we say, thank God. But, you know, the gateway to that was brokenness. The gateway to that was humility. The gateway to that was repentance. And that's what the church doesn't like to hear. It wants all the good but doesn't realise how it's attained in the Christian life. You see, he, God says, I will revive the spirit. That's what, you know what revive means? It means to bring back to life. You know, Christians, in your Christian life, you're going to feel times of dryness. Feel times it's like, you know, it's just you're just enduring and persevering, and it's like, God, I just not sensing your presence. I just don't have that sense of freshness. And uh, and and at times, and then one day, God at a particular point, He will break through and He will revive us. He revives us. Amen. The heart of the humble. He revives the contrite ones. 
It is to bring us back to life. You know, I want you to see something about the heart of God this morning because when we look at that, we think, gosh, God's just so hard. But you know, he's not. He's the opposite. Remember, whom the Lord loves, he chastises. And so listen to Hosea, how in God's dealings with Israel, in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. God is angry with Israel. He's disciplining them severely. And he says these words, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeb- Zeboim? Now listen to these. My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. My heart churns. You know, this is showing something about the suffering of God and his love for you and I. He's a jealous God, but his, his heart suffers. You know, we get a taste of this as parents. When you become a parent and you have children and you, you, you identify with the dynamics of, of parenting and of being a father and a mother, you know what we're doing? We're just identifying with God through all of these things. We're seeing something about God's nature, the depths of these things. And when God says, my heart churns within me and I'm stirred to sympathy or compassion, this is, the, this, is, this is the love of God. And so when we humble ourselves, when we come to that place of brokenness, this is where God will, will meet with us in his love and mercy and grace. And so holiness this morning is so important. When we are broken, when we come back to the cross, you say, where can I start on this journey of holiness? Maybe you, maybe just come to the cross. See, people see the cross as only a, a salvation issue, you know, and it is. But you know, in the Christian life, we can go wayward. We ought to, and you know, we're, how do I get back on track? Back to the cross. Come back to the cross. Cling to the cross, find forgiveness, find, make confession, find God's mercy, find his love, find his power, find everything, amen, and be renewed and be revived and be lifted up by the Lord. <clears throat> and it's in that place that we bear fruit of holiness. So the point of this is I'm trying to give a starting point for holiness for, for some who may, it may apply to. I know that this is not for everybody this morning, but there may be. I don't know. And so to the person that's not saved, I would say, get saved. And, uh, and to the, the Christian, I would say, well, where are we at? What is the accent of our life this morning? Is God's name blasphemed because of us? What's our testimony? Are we living holy? Are we separated from the world? Or are we so much like the world that there's no distinction? You know, I saw something about the... Um, uh, on the TV, there's the documentary on the cuttlefish. And the cuttlefish can swim. And as it goes through different uh, uh, places of the rock with all their different colours and formations, it camouflages into its surrounding. That's what Christians can be like. <laughs> camouflage to this environment, camouflage to that environment, you know, just to kind of fit in. But, you know, you're not going to fit in. You're an alien, okay? Just accept it. <laughs> you're an alien. 
just be proud of who you are in Christ Jesus. Your home is not this world. We're not looking for acceptance in this world. The reproach that we, Jesus says, be glad and rejoice. You know, when Peter and James, they were beaten and they said, don't you name the name of Jesus. They left and they didn't go out feeling sorry for themselves. They went out and rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name because they were holy. And so... Let's, let's examine our hearts this morning. You see, holiness is the only life that the Lord can bless. Holiness is the only life that the Lord can bless. And his commandments are not burdensome. Not when we, you know, that's why he who loves the world, doesn't, the love for the Father is not in him. Because when you love God like God requires it from us, then his commandments are not burdensome. There's no sacrifice that's too great to make. There's no burden in love. When we love, we learn to sacrifice. We learn to put others before us. That's the whole, again, marriage. What do you think marriage is about? Marriage is about esteeming. And uh, learning to, to live in this way, as Christ loved the church in terms of men and husbands. That's the challenge, contrary to our nature, but Christ is the perfect example. But love, when there's genuine love, amen, we'll do whatever is required, whatever it takes. And so I just want to remind us this morning of some of these things. Um, it was Vance Havner. He was an American preacher teacher excellent he says the world is not our rest it is a training ground for christian character the world is not our rest christ is our rest and that which is to come but the world is a training ground for christian character he says you cannot sharpen an axe on a pound of butter the world sharpens us up because you know what we're called to be separate we're called to be different so the we have to adjust we have to sharpen ourselves because you know what otherwise if we don't sharpen ourselves if we don't separate if we don't make a distinction then then where is the testimony of god where the light we're supposed to be the light that shines and where the light is it exposes the unfruitful works of darkness Light comes into the world and men go crazy because men love darkness rather than light. Their deeds are evil. But when we are, when we are living and walking in holiness, our lives are constantly contrasting to the world around us. It's philosophies. And I tell you, we're living in an age, whether it is on your workplace. You know, I've gotten to the point sometimes I forget because I talk to people and I think that they think like me. And I realise really quickly, I've just said too much. <laughs> And they're, like, and they're probably thinking, who is this guy? Because the world thinks so opposite to the Christian. The, the world view today, I mean, we just heard it about motherhood, how backwards and wicked it is. And we talk about motherhood or we talk about other aspects of, of life in the Bible and the world has no idea anymore. But you know what? We, don't, we can't compromise. I'm really concerned about this church. Because we're going, to be temp we're going to wrestle with these things going forward. Because you know what? You might lose your job. You're going to 
I mean, you work this out with God, but, you know, there are going to be times where we're going to be challenged and are we going to just be silent so that we can, um, you know, to please those around us? Because, you know, if we, we don't, we're going to upset the apple cart. Oh, you can't work here. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't uh, align with our values. Well, you bet I don't. And I can't keep silent. I mean, I'm not saying being obnoxious or, or anything like that. You know, you'd be wise, but the Lord directs you. But you, you'll know if you're compromising and, and hiding from speaking the truth. You're going to bear a reproach. You're holy. Remember that. Jesus even said in his priestly prayer of John 17, he says, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world. Isn't that interesting? but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. See, I was also reading somewhere, it says, well, Christians, we're called pilgrims, not hermits. That's what's happening. You know, people in the last age, oh my gosh, I'm going to go off to so-and-so and I'm going to become a hermit. No. God, we're pilgrims. And, uh, you know, or in the, in the olden days, they said, oh, well, I want to be holy, so I'll go to a monastery and I'll just sit in here, and I'll, you know, I'm going to fast three days a week, I'm going to just, you know, meditate and just pray and be holy. That's not holiness. We're pilgrims, we're in the world. Jesus said, I pray that don't take them out, but just keep them from the evil one, and uh, they're not of the world, so let our conduct, let our light shine. And so... Live a holy life and let the testimony of God be glorified through us, not blasphemed through our lives this morning. You know, you look at the heroes of faith and you can't help be challenged and convicted and stirred by their testimonies. And then I think of Paul's words where he speaks about Demas in the scripture. And he says, you know what? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present Oh, God, I don't want that testimony. When we think about Demas in the Bible, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's stuck, that's attached to him forever. He departed from Paul because he loved the present world. And I don't want to be marked by that. I want to be known for a love, my love for God that is uncompromising. Demas... He affiliated and he, he lost sight of practical holiness and separation. May we not this morning. And if we have, there's hope. Revive us, O oh Lord. That's what revival, you know, look at church history and look at the Bible in Israel. You know when revival came? When the church was at its worst. When the nation of Israel was at its worst. And even if we are at our worst, it's not the end, amen. It be, can be the beginning, a new beginning. Because God, revive, God, revive your work. Hapakak said, Lord, uh, revive your work in the midst of the years. In wrath, remember mercy. And that's who God is. And that's what God wants for us this morning. And so let's, let's pursue holiness. Let's walk on the highway of holiness this morning as we go forward, seeking God and doing his will. Let's pray. Ask the Lord's blessing. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you this morning. God, for your word, I thank you, Lord, for the series. I thank you, Father, for the privilege and the opportunity to share these things, Lord, and to declare them, my God, and that relate to your word. 
Father, I know that you, there's much in all of this, but I trust, God, that you have spoken to us as, as individuals and corporately as a church, God. And Lord, we, we can all, God, take these things to heart. We can all examine ourselves and test ourselves as we ought to. And God, just ensure that we are in that place of holiness, that we are pursuing holiness, that we are perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Oh, Lord, God, let us examine ourselves. Let us cut anything that's in our lives, Lord, that ought not to be there, anything that's a hindrance, any sin that ensnares us. God, let it all be done away with. And Lord, let us, God, go forward. Father, I pray your blessing upon your people. In Jesus' name, amen.